While they're making their way there, the rest of you can be finding the song of Mary, and that is found in Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 46, verse 46. And so, uh, as you've heard this morning, we're messing with the bulletin just a little bit, right? Uh, Rearranging the service just a little bit this morning. But if you found your place, let's go ahead and stand as we look at Mary's song of praise, it's sometimes referred to as uh, the first word of the song in Latin, the Magnificat. And so, uh, beginning with verse 46, Mary burst forth in praise at the home there of Elizabeth when she um, kind of lets out everything that she had been pondering in her heart, breaking the silence, right? We've been talking about just say it, just say it, right? Uh, the breaking of the silence at Christmas here today with worship, worship. What did, what did her song include? It says, Mary said, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his slaves. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, because the mighty one has done great things for me. And his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. And he has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, mindful of his mercy." just as he spoke to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And it says, Mary stayed with her about three months, and then she returned home. Father, we learn so much about worship, specifically worship at Christmas from this song of Mary. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would not only give us understanding of worship, but it would move us to be people of worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. As I was preparing for this message and speaking with Pastor Jeff about the challenges it presents to us, I said, it's, it's too bad the message is always toward the end of the service because we need some time to apply this and, uh, and he and I talked about it. We said, well, we can change that up a little bit. And so we want to do that. So uh, uh, don't make a, a run for the door when the message comes to a conclusion this morning. It's just preparing us for a, a time of worship and celebration to apply some things that we learn about worship from the text. And so we want you to hang tight as we uh, spend some time in celebration and respond to what the Spirit of God is leading us to do today. And we want to teach you to make that a lifestyle. We want you to be worshiping in your homes during the Christmas season, that, that your homes will be filled with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and celebration, and music, anticipation, and all those things that we discussed that you would break the silence. I loved hearing from the kids. They have a way of breaking the silence right at Christmas. And uh, when they, they grow up, you might miss the noise, and at least until the grandchildren come in, right? You might miss the noise that they bring, the, the celebration, the jubilation that is there. And then corporate worship. Now, I know that we, we're giving you elements to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're going to do that corporately together next week, but also in the home. Now, somebody might say, well, I thought corporate worship, I, th I thought communion or the Lord's Supper was an ordinance of the church that it is to be done 
corporately, and, and yes, it is, and yes, we will be doing it corporately, but like in Acts, we'll be doing it corporately from house to house, and we're going to give you some video instructions, and, and I'm excited about that, and I hope that you'll take advantage of that and uh, take uh, just enough elements for those that you know you'll be doing that with, a large extended family or uh, just a few of you or just one of you. We'll, we hope you take those elements. Uh, but worship should permeate every area of our lives and should be something that uh, magnifies God as Mary did in this passage. And it certainly should be part of our experience when we gather together every Lord's Day. You know, I was thinking about when I was a kid earlier and those opportunities that I, I had to spend the night at my uh, grandma and grandpa Brown's house. And uh, I know that uh, my brother and sister, perhaps my cousins can remember, being the oldest, I remember uh, early days spending the night at their house. And there were some things that you knew for absolute certain if you spent the night on a Saturday night with grandma and grandpa Brown, this was going to happen. You knew that you were going to be watching hee-haw on Saturday night. Been there, right? And, 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 you know, now my wife was a CD girl, so they actually stayed tuned, and, and they watched Lawrence Welk show afterwards, but we didn't spend a lot of time watching Lawrence Welk. But we watched Hee Haw, and, uh, and then when you woke up in the morning, you knew for sure you were going to smell lard biscuits cooking. And uh, I looked forward to that. And you knew that you would hear on the television set, ringing through the air, Gospel Jubilee. Now, how many of you go back that far? You, you know what I'm talking about, raise your hand. You would hear that, that quartet Gospel Jubilee music playing on the television, and uh, you knew that on the way to church, and you were going to church. That was not even a question. You were going to church, and on the way to church, you would get half a stick of gum. Now, I don't understand, and some of the parents, grandparents maybe can help us out Maybe it was because of uh, anybody born during and, and growing up during the Depression that that's how you had to kind of ration out gum. But I don't, I, what was it that that gum, it was only 10 cents a pack and they bought it in bulk, it, whether it was big red or, or juicy fruit, right? Why was it that you got half a stick? Maybe it was because we were going to swallow it. I don't know. But you got half a stick of gum on the way to church, but you were going to church and you were going to celebrate. Sometimes during the Christmas season, we have a lot of memories of our childhood. But one thing that I've noticed about this time of year, and in and, and conversations with Pastor Jeff, he's echoed noticing the same thing in some others, is that when we get into singing Christmas carols and songs like, by the way, Joy to the World originally wasn't even intended to be a Christmas song. It was a song about the second coming of Christ when he would make the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. And, and so some, for some reason, when we get into singing Christmas carols, we wax all melancholy. It's like we've just gotten in line and marched to the auditorium like we used to do at Danielsville Elementary School, and we would stand there and we would sing. Now I wish kids would sing all of the same Christmas carols that we sang back then, but we would go and we would sing Christmas carols and maybe something about the Christmas season and it gets dark early and we just kind of slip into a, a melancholy mode, which is, that's okay, contemplation and reflection is wonderful, but Mary here in this passage all of a sudden burst forth with, with uncontainable praise. God had, had broken the silence as we saw earlier in our study of John 1. 
God's the one who initiated this whole process, sending his son, Jesus, the word becoming flesh. We saw Zechariah break the silence with his missional message about John the Baptist and who the Messiah would be and who he was coming for. And now we see Mary, who tended to be that melancholy personality in Scripture, who tended to, to ponder things in her heart and, and reflect on things and give a lot of thought to those things that were taking place. Gabriel had come to her there in Nazareth. I've been there in Israel at the Well of Annunciation where a lot of people uh, believe that Gabriel actually uh, spoke to Mary, which that did actually take place, and a lot of people believe that's one of the more authentic sites that you can visit in Israel. She was betrothed to be married, possibly around 16 years of age, this would have been an exciting time in the life of a young woman. But she meets Gabriel and is obviously, like any of the rest of us, troubled at an encounter with an angel. There's that fear and trembling in God's presence. And then later, after receiving the news that she was going to give birth to Messiah, she visits her relative Elizabeth. John the Baptist, as we saw last week, leaps for joy within his mother's womb. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, when Mary has pondered all this and even, even listening to her rel relative Elizabeth saying, this is a blessing, God has shown you favor, it's an honor for me to even have you in my home, and she's in that uh, moment that she just finally bursts forth in this praise that she can contain no longer, even the language that we read, the emotional language within the text tells us that she couldn't contain it, just as there would come a day that she could no longer carry this baby, but it would have to come forth. It would have to be born. She could no longer contain this praise anymore. This praise had to be birthed. She had to let it out, and so she lets out this hymn of praise that teaches us so much about how we should be worshiping. And I pray that we would hear it, that we would receive it today, that we would understand it, and that we would reflect it not only in our corporate worship, as we'll continue to worship here in a few moments, but that we'll also let it permeate our hearts and our homes and our very lives throughout the Christmas season and throughout the year. Two indispensable elements of worship seen in the first two verses of this praise. The first one is this. Worship responds to the greatness of God's revelation. We looked at that word revelation, God revealing in the incarnation a couple of weeks ago. The word became flesh. God was making himself known to us. Also the written word. The words of prophecy through Zacharias as he was explaining what John the Baptist and Jesus would be all about. But the word has become flesh, has been revealed to us, and these promises are being revealed to Mary, and she's beginning to see all that God is doing. Imagine Elizabeth just waiting and thinking, okay, Mary, how do you feel? It's just me and you here. Just, just say it. Just, just let it out. And Mary bursts forth, and she says, my soul magnifies, literally declares the greatness of the Lord. My soul magnifies, makes a big deal about. Different translations 
search for the words in the English language. My soul exalts or glorifies or praises the greatness because uh, exalting and, and magnifying and greatness are all wrapped up in this word. Worship responds to the greatness of God's revelation concerning himself. And so here she is saying, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. Where does this praise come from? It comes from the soul. The Greek word for soul is suke, where we get our word uh, psyche or psychology from. It's all of the heart and all of the mind, all of your life, all of your being, all that you are. You are a living soul. That's what separates you from all other living creatures. I know we like to think that all dogs go to heaven, and my wife can tell you where all cats go. But the truth is, this is going to really hurt somebody's feelings this morning, the truth is the other animals do not have a soul, nor are they a soul, but we are a living soul. And we have the responsibility and the ability to choose to respond. That's what responsibility means, right? Able to, the ability to respond. As a living soul, we can respond to God's greatness and God's revelation of himself by birthing a praise and bursting forth in praise. Think about it. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul and strength. All that you are is to magnify him, to love him, to make a big deal about God. Now let me ask you, in your corporate worship, when you're gathered with the body of Christ, or when you're alone, when you are in your home, when you are with your family during the Christmas season, are you doing all that you can to make a big deal about God? Are you reminding people whose birthday it is that we're celebrating? I know somebody will try to say, well, you know, Christmas is really commercialized, and that's true. And others will say we don't know that Jesus was actually born on December 25th. Many believe it was possibly in the springtime or later in the summer. To which I want to reply, so what? Every day is a day that the Lord has made. Every day he is worthy of our praise. And we should celebrate the fact that God became flesh and dwelt among us every day of the year. We should celebrate the fact that he lived a sinless life, that he died in our place, and that he rose again Every day is a day to magnify the greatness of the Lord, and December 25th is no exception to that rule. And if we pick a day to put it on the calendar to say, let's all do that, so what? Let's do it with all of our life, all of the time. We are to magnify or make a big deal reflecting God's glory in this world. Why? Because According to verse 49, he is the mighty and holy God. It says, because he, the mighty one, has done great things for me, and his name is holy. He is, a, he is an almighty God, the one and only God. He is a holy God. And when we start thinking about these attributes of his greatness and responding to his greatness, we're going to be glad that there's a second principle here that reminds us that he has done something to allow us to be able to even do all of this. Because of his might and his power and his holiness, we couldn't stand in his presence. Our God is a consuming fire, and, and we could not be able to bear it if it were not for the fact that he was also a gracious and loving and merciful God who would make it possible in coming to be as one of us. 
He has made himself known through his mighty works. Look at verses 51 and 52. He says, or Mary sings, He has done a mighty deed with his arm, and he has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones, exalted the lowly. I think of that great Christological hymn in Philippians chapter 2 that says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Why do we want to wait till then when we can go ahead and do that now and recognize his lordship in our lives and in this world? That's what worship is all about. It's responding to the greatness of God's revelation of himself to us that he's made himself known to us Sometimes we struggle with worship when we come together as the body of Christ because we have not encountered Christ throughout the week. But if you've encountered Christ, if you're spending time with him daily, if you're walking in his presence, then you can't help but to magnify the greatness or declare and proclaim the greatness of our Lord when you gather together with other believers. Like Mary, you're like, I'm about to give birth to a praise. I'm about to erupt. I can't contain it anymore. Mary had pondered these things in her heart long enough, and she had this overwhelming sense of awe that had to be expressed. C.S. Lewis, writing about worship, says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. In other words, the encounter is that, that leads us to respond to God's greatness is extended in our praising of God in that. He goes on to say, it is, it is its appointed consummation. If it were possible for a created soul fully to appreciate, that is to love and delight in, the worthiest object of all, and simultaneously at every moment to give this delight perfect expression, then that soul would be in supreme blessedness. To praise God fully, we must suppose ourselves to be in perfect love with God, drowned in, dissolved by that delight which far from the remaining pent up with or far from remaining pent up within ourselves as incommunicable bliss flows out from us incessantly again in effortless and perfect expression. In other words, You don't have to kind of work it up at church. It is just something that is overflowing supernaturally from what God is doing in your life. He says, our joy is no more separable from the praise in which it liberates and utters itself than the brightness of a mirror receives is separable from the brightness it sheds. In other words, just as a mirror reflects the light that shines on it, your life should reflect the glory of God when you encounter God's presence as Mary did. When we walk with him and know him and encounter him on a daily basis, even in corporate worship, when we've encountered the presence of the living God, then our soul should reflect that glory in the world. Worship responds to the greatness of God's revelation. And second principle is this. Worship rejoices in the grace of God's redemption. God is so great in his holiness and in his might that it would consume us if he wasn't also a God of grace and mercy that would make, us pot, make it possible for us to even come into his presence. And so she says, not only does my soul magnify the Lord, verse 47, my spirit, my spirit, that part of me 
that lives in communion with God, that part of me that bears witness with his spirit that I'm a child of God, rejoices. Now the word here for rejoice is a visible expression of exceeding joy. A visible expression of exceeding joy. It's the word that describes the wise men as they were overwhelmed with great joy. It describes the exceeding joy of heaven for believers. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 12, where we're told even in the midst of persecution to rejoice with exceeding great joy, knowing that great is our reward in heaven one day, so looking forward to heaven, there's this great rejoicing. But it's also the rejoicing we see in heaven in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7. At the wedding supper of the Lamb, it says that we will rejoice because we're there. And so our rejoicing here on earth because of our encounter with God should reflect the grace of God's redemption in our own lives in such a way that I'm celebrating now like I think I'm going to celebrate one day in heaven. As sure as I will worship around the throne, I need to worship that way today, in his presence today, overwhelmed with joy. The message of Christmas is this. Heaven has visited us in Jesus Christ. Mary is imagining heaven is within her now. Just as when we receive Christ as Savior and Lord, we have a little bit of heaven on earth because Jesus is living in us through his Spirit. God, whose greatness makes us tremble in his presence, is the same God whose grace makes his presence available and accessible to us and empowers us to bear it so we can come boldly into his throne room of grace and find grace and mercy in our time of need and even Mary, the blessed mother of Jesus, needed that same grace. It's not something you hear in a lot of Christmas messages, but verse 47, she explains that God, my Savior, is the one that I'm rejoicing. God, my Savior. That's evidence that Jesus is the divine Son of God, and that is evidence that Mary needed a Savior just like me and you. She personalized it. God, my Savior. Isaiah 43 and verse 11. The Lord God, Yahweh, says, I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. I am Jehovah. There is no Savior but me. And then in Luke chapter 2 and verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And if there's only one Savior... And that is Jehovah God. And a Savior was born, that means God became flesh and dwelt among us that we could behold his glory. Jesus was fully God and fully man. And he was Mary's Savior just like he is our Savior. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one mediator between God and man. That's the man Christ Jesus. That means Mary is not the mediator that we pray to. We pray to God through the Son, Jesus, the mediator, in the Spirit. One God, one Savior, one Lord, 
and we seek his face in worship and we rejoice that his grace makes that possible. She refers to that grace in verse 48 of looking upon her with favor and the humble condition of his slave. We go on to read in verse 50 that his mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. The last part of verse 52 that we read a moment ago, that he exalts the lowly. In verses 53 and 54, he has satisfied the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, mindful of his mercy. It's his mercy and grace that makes us able to come into his presence. And so we should rejoice with exceeding joy. Pastor, you don't understand. I'm rejoicing on the inside. And that's okay for some of you if that's who you are. But watch sports fans after a game-saving play sometime as they erupt in celebration. That person is revealing who they really are, right? That they, if something is really important, they, they erupt in celebration and praise. Look at friends and, and family after a life is rescued that was near death as they celebrate. Here she is saying, we're going to be saved from the clutches of hell. We're going to rejoice. We're going to celebrate that. Scripture views the glorifying of God, James Packer says, as sixfold activity, praising God for all that he is and all his achievements, thanking him for his gifts and his goodness to us, Asking him to meet our own and others' needs. Offering him our gifts, our service, and ourselves. Learning of him from his word, read and preached, and obeying his voice, telling others of his worth, both public confession and testimony to what he has done for us. Thus we might say that the basic formulas of worship are these. Lord, you are wonderful. Thank you, Lord. Please, Lord, take this, Lord. Yes, Lord, and listen, everybody. <laughs> Jesus is Lord. So we're going to stand and sing his praises. Would you pray with me as we prepare our hearts for a time of worship? Father, we love you. And we want to respond to this word with our voices of praise, with words of confession and adoration today. May we be uninhibited. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask the choir to come back up at this time for me.